In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. as you know, this week uh, the church celebrated uh, some important feasts of saints. We had the feast of St. Monica on Thursday. Friday was her son that she prayed into the church, St. Augustine. And today is an unusual feast in the sense that it's uh, unusual that we actually celebrate the martyrdom of a saint, in this case the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist, and we also celebrate his birth. So he gets two in the church, he gets two feasts, his birth on June 24th and his death today, August 29th. It's a very unique thing, we get that for our Lord himself, so, so he must be pretty special. St. John the Baptist, you know, nobody else gets that kind of treatment, and of course the account that we have today in today's Gospel is the account from St. Mark of that dramatic passage in, in the banquet of Herod. It's very dramatic because it's this decadent, sensual atmosphere of all these people in high society, probably dressed in, in very elegant ways in the court. This is like the trendy crowd, right? And uh, of course at the center of this crowd is Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee. Look, he had a special, special authority there in Galilee. This is also, you call, you call him Herod Antipas. He is the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was called the Great because he had uh, been responsible for building the, the temple. The temple, as you know, had been destroyed uh, by the Babylonians and now, well, took time, but they eventually rebuilt it uh, under, under Herod the Great. So you see the, all this crowd of trendy people and uh, there is in that crowd also Herodias, who is uh, the wife, she is, well, really the fake wife of uh, Herod and she's harboring a great grudge. She's probably got her eyes all narrow and she's still thinking of John the Baptist. Obviously he's in prison, he's not there, he's in prison because John the Baptist had interfered with her plans to be, well, at the height of her power, she could be the wife of Herod, she could be like the first lady and um, she realized that her husband, who was not her actual husband, uh, she had been married to his brother, but he wasn't, I guess, powerful enough, so she, she hooked up with uh, Herod. And she started noticing, she looked over to her, her husband there, and she started noticing how he liked to listen to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, 
he wasn't like a dainty figure saying, in case you want to know, uh, he was going, you brood of vipers. He was like really smacking people around, right? He wasn't uh, mincing words, you, say, you could say. But nevertheless, Herod liked to listen to him. He kind of was stirred by some of the things. And maybe Herodias thought, well, if he keeps listening, he's going to get converted and he's going to send me away. He's going to tell me I can't be your husband anymore, right? Because that's some of the things that John the Baptist was saying. And you can imagine, I mean, maybe she wanted to be there to have the trendiness of being in power, but also if she were to be shipped out of there, I mean, she would have nowhere to go, right? She would be completely helpless. And that's why she saw John the Baptist as, as a threat. And uh, she certainly wasn't listening to his words in order to be converted. But Herod, despite his licentious life, liked to listen to John. He was harsh, he was probably a bit rude. And what was striking was that John was saying basically the truth. He was saying things that resonated with Herod. But he wasn't ready to change his life. Let's just picture now John. Picture in your mind, that's what we do when we pray here. That's what we're doing with you. We picture John. The contrast, you could say, you know, from, the, from the very womb of his elderly mother, John had been inundated by the Holy Spirit. From the very womb, right? And uh, he was created, he was conceived in order to prepare the way for Jesus to be accepted by his people. And he grew up and lived in the desert. It was not a comfortable exi existence, but he was there because he was preparing himself for the mission that God had given him. He was preparing himself through solitude, through prayer, through a certain ascetical experience of existence, like, you know, they say he, he ate grasshoppers and stuff, and I mean, you know, it wasn't, this was not Club Med, right? I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was living in a kind of a mountainous region about 400 meters below sea level, so it was really dry. It was rocky. There was not much to cultivate. There were few people. I mean, who would want to live there? You picture him. You've seen, I'm sure you've seen paintings of him. He's thin, he's emaciated, he's wearing this rough garment, right? I mean, there's no, there's no gap to go to, right? So the, you can't, uh, you know, he's just wearing, yeah. And his warnings, when he does show up to the people, are thunderous. And uh, yet he had no public authority. Nobody gave him the authority to say these things. And so likely he also spoke in a certain gentle way as well. Clear. It was like an invitation to move higher, to be a better person, to respond to the challenges of life. I bet he was telling people, stop complaining. Stop complaining. Right? See, when we complain, when we complain, we see, of course, when we complain, we, we see the negative side of something, whatever it may be. 
it's bad weather, it's traffic, it's a pain in my back, it's this or that, I'm tired, so many things that we complain about. And if we complain often, well, the normal thing is that we get used to, we get pretty good at it, let's say, right? We get into a kind of negative feedback loop, and we often complain, right? Sometimes about really silly things that are not worthwhile complaining. And, and it's almost as though we're training our brain to expect negative things and to only see negative things everywhere. That's why some people complain a lot. Their brains are geared, they're trained to complain. But if we saw something that was a challenge to us, that was hard for us, instead of complaining, if we instead bore that thing patiently, we, that is, we exercised patience, we held our tongue, I'm not going to say anything, and maybe instead of complaining, we gave thanks to God. Thank you, God, for this rain today. Thank you, God, for the flowers that can grow. Thank you, Lord, for this intense traffic jam. Thank you, Lord. That means I can pray a little bit better or somewhat. Thank you, Lord, for the slow internet speed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That'll mean I'll just go away for a while. It'll come back, maybe. It'll get faster. How often have you heard people say, oh, the internet is so bad. It's a, this internet in this place is so bad. And they complain in some way or another, right? And yet, it's like an invitation that God gives us to be better. To develop a spirit of thanksgiving. Imagine if we never saw reasons to give thanks. We just, were just completely blinded to them. Right? We, it's like we, we, didn't ha we no longer had 20-20 vision. Right? So, well, this is what John was doing. He was inviting people to go higher, to a greater moral integrity. And I would say that he was a fearless man. He was fearless. Fearless in facing the truth, fearless in facing challenges. And we know that the truth needed to be said. It needed to, to be enunciated clearly because he was preparing the way for the Lord who is the truth himself in his perso person. And political leaders always have an influence on their people. And uh, of course, Herod must have been providing by his lifestyle, a bad example for his people. That's why John the Baptist was saying the truth about his lifestyle, that he couldn't take Herodias as his wife. This was wrong. He could have stayed quiet. He could have stayed quiet. He could have thought, if I wait for an opportune moment, um, well, if we only think of the absolutely perfect opportune moment, you know, when will that moment ever appear actually or actually present itself? 
I would imagine that St. John the Baptist said, I have to strike the iron when it's hot. And that is now, when I see him. Presumably he saw him in public somewhere or in some other context. And he said things so that he knew that these words uh, would get to Herod. And indeed, Herod liked to listen to those things. He somehow developed a sensitivity to that truth. And inevitably, of course, John the Baptist suffered imprisonment. They tried to calm down what he said. This is what uh, I read today in the Office of Readings from the Father of the Church, St. Bede. So he's from England, from the 7th century or so. He's one of the latest fathers of the Church in the West. He said, There is no doubt that Blessed John suffered imprisonment and chains as a, witnesses, as a witness to our Redeemer, whose forerunner he was, and gave his life for him. His persecutor had demanded not that he should deny Christ, but only that he should keep silent about the truth. Nevertheless, so, so it was, in other words, Herod wanted him to be silent about the truth. Nevertheless, he died for Christ. Does Christ not say, I am the truth? Therefore, because John shed his blood for the truth, he surely died for Christ. And through his birth, preaching and baptizing, he bore witness to the coming birth, preaching and baptism of Christ. And by his own suffering, he showed that Christ also would suffer. And I would say that he didn't see Herod as a hopeless case, somebody that was totally out of his league, or as they say, somebody that was above his pay grade. Great sinners have become great saints. Maybe you know people that, that are very far from the church or, or not Catholic at all. Well, don't be afraid to talk to, to them about the faith. Don't be afraid to go for it. We saw this with, with St. Augustine. He was attracted to God because of what he saw ultimately within himself. He saw, you could say, God within his own eye. When he meditated and he reflected on that, because he was very cultured, he had read many things, and, and he realized that God was crying out to him from within, not outside, in the beauty of the, of the world, but right inside his own heart. And of course, John the Baptist was not baptized, obviously, right? But he baptized Jesus. So as St. Pete says, this was an example of baptism by his own blood. Imagine baptizing yourself with your own blood. Because there's Baptism of water, which I presume all of you have had. Baptism of desire, for those who have not been baptized, but desire to be baptized, or for whatever reason they're blocked. And then there's baptism by blood. Those who are, before being baptized, are martyred. This is what Bede says about John. John was baptized in his own blood, though he had been privileged to baptize the Redeemer of the world, to hear the voice of the Father above him, and to see the grace of the Holy Spirit descending upon him. But to endure temporal agonies for the sake of the truth was not a heavy burden for such 
men as John. Rather, it was easily born and even desirable, for he knew eternal joy would be his reward. Eternal joy would be his reward. So he understood that God was asking him to give this, yeah, this example of, uh, of uh, you know, truth or testimony to truth. And I, and I like this example because he really showed that he didn't think anybody was hopeless. Nobody's impossible. There are many cases of this. Think of somebody like Bernard Nathanson, who in the 19, I'm going to say in the 1960s or 70s, certainly when I, when I was growing up, he was a household name, Bernard Nathanson. He was an abortionist, and he himself said that he was responsible for 75,000 abortions. And certainly, if you would have seen him at the time, you, you would have seemed like a hopeless case. And this is a guy who, who had been married, uh, I think, four times. Uh, the th first three marriages ended in divorce. He even uh, aborted his own child at one point. But God touched his heart when he saw the pro-life people praying for him in the cold all through that abuse and all the anger of the press, which of course they still endure today. But somehow God touched him when he saw that. On those cold winter mornings, that was even before they had these, these laws, these bubble laws, you know, where you can't, you can't go too close to the abortion clinic. Yet despite the abuse, they stayed serene. And he converted from being an abortionist to a pro-life advocate when he saw when he wrote or when he saw the movie the silent scream or he did the movie I'm not exactly sure when he saw an ultrasound of an abortion eventually he converted he was Jewish faith but he converted to Catholicism and he was baptized by Cardinal John Cardinal O'Connor in 1996 I believe it was in St. Patrick's Basilica and he wrote a marvelous book about his life. And, and, and so God did not see him as hopeless. We must not see anybody as hopeless. There are many, many stories of this uh, throughout the, the world. And um, so let us ask what, what we can do to bring souls closer by talking to them about the truth. Maybe we have to be a little bit uh, belligerent or, you know, maybe a bit difficult. Mm -hmm. We just have to be able to re really face the truth and talk about the truth. I understand. It seems like some people are just not ready for it. It's understandable. Maybe we have to listen to them more. Maybe that's what we have to do. Just listen to their perspective. Hear them out. I think John the Baptist would have been ready to hear out John uh, Herod. But... Of course, he was decapitated. There was there's, there's just a, a very short little line that I always found somewhat touching. And it says, at the end of today's gospel, it says, uh, you know, when they, 
the story, you know the account, right, in that, in that banquet, how, how <coughs> the, the girl danced and, and uh, made a deep impression on Herod, and, and uh, he vowed to give anything she wanted, even half his kingdom. And then so she, the girl goes to her mother and says, well, what do you want me to ask for? And she asked for, give me right here the head of John the Baptist on a plate, on a disc, right? On a platter, which is like a really gross thing to do, right? And that's what they did. They went. He didn't want to, but he made an oath. So they went and cut off his head. This is a very strange series of phrases. He went off and beheaded him in prison. He brought in the head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl, in turn, gave it to her mother. It's like the girl holds a platter with a head and the girl brings, here, mom, here's the platter. And the mother's kind of like just checking, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's him. Yeah, okay, good, good. Just, just verifying, right? But the last line, when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And then they went and told Jesus. I picture them telling Jesus how broken and sorrowful they were. Because they understood that, of course, John the Baptist was a lover of the truth and a speaker of the truth. And yet he got his head lopped off. I like this passage. They heard about it, they took his body with reverence, they laid it in the tomb. And even there, they believed in the resurrection. Even though he had no head, who knows what they did with the head, I don't know. But uh, let us ask our Lord, and let us ask for the intercession of John the Baptist, to give us the courage to always know how to defend the truth, to be patient with others, to be thankful, for all the good that we have been given, especially be thankful for the fact that the Lord has allowed us to at least have some semblance of participation in the truth and thereby transmit it as well in its integrity to others. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.